Well, uh, happy 4th of July to you. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. We always want you to feel welcome at our church, whether you're online or in person. And I'm, uh, I'm David, I'm the pastor. <clears throat> if you need anything I can help you with, just uh, let me know. If you attend our church on a regular basis, you may know by now that Barry Fall, who's our student minister, is leaving at the end of this month. He is going to become the lead pastor at uh, Gospel Grove uh, Baptist Church just south of Indianapolis, Indiana. Barry's been with us five and a half years. First guy I brought on the staff as pastor, and Barry's just done a great job for us. We wish him the best. We've been trying to find a way to kind of say goodbye. The schedules this month are all crazy. So next week on Sunday, uh, we're going to kind of have all Sunday morning through all four services, just kind of a goodbye to Barry out in the commons. There'll be some cake out there and a basket if you want to give him a card. Just go make sure you get a chance to tell Barry and Don, their family, how much they mean to you. Um, the thing about Independence Day, and I love Independence Day. Uh, I love Fourth of July. I'm a history major, so this is one of my favorite holidays. Uh, what we basically do is we celebrate treason on uh, July 4th. Yeah. We celebrate when 56 men committed an act of treason and drug the rest of the country in treason with them. And uh, it's a reminder, though, that sometimes rebellion can be a good thing. Sometimes you've got to rebel a little bit. And uh, there was, a, it was an understanding that God has given humans that he made in his image, he gave us freedom, especially once you became a follower of Christ, and he gave us certain rights, and the government didn't have the right to take away what God had given to us, and so they rebelled just a little bit, <laughs> and got us the, the freedom of our great nation. And, you know, sometimes when you remember, a little bit of rebellion could be okay. You know, that, I bet, that sometimes we've got to remind the people we elect that we don't serve them, they serve us. You know, that's the, kind of the concept upon our government. That's how it works, you know, and uh, sometimes that's a good thing to do. Uh, John Kennedy said, don't ask what you can do for your country, ask what your country can do for you. That's true. It doesn't apply to the government. We don't ask what we can do for them. They, they, they work for us, and so sometimes you got to rebel just a little bit, and that can be okay. Uh, I spent a lot of time this past year rebelling, probably a little more than I should have, but I did. I've been known to rebel a little bit. It's kind of in my blood. But there's a couple of times you should never rebel. I never, never, never rebel against your parents. Kids, listen to the pastor. Don't rebel against your mom and dad. It's in the Bible. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's, a, it's an important one. And I remember I used to tell my daughter, I said, baby, you get out of line. I'm going to sell you to some gypsies. And they don't treat you near as good as I do. And that's a good parenting skill. I'm, I think by writing a book on parenting, some of the things that I did to help keep my daughter in line that never worked. The other, you never rebel against your parents, and listen this, this to this, you never rebel against God. That's the most important thing of all. Don't rebel against God. And yet we rebel against God all the time. I mean, that's just who we are. We rebel against God all the time. And so Jude wrote a book because of that rebellion. Jude kind of entered in to that fray. He wanted to write a book to the church about their salvation, their common salvation. The false teachers had come into the church that he was dealing with, and so he had to write a book. Dealing with that instead, it was a book that was really all about Jesus and how sometimes we are called into conflict against false teachers who are living in rebellion. And we also have seen that they have a way of rebellion. And uh, knowing all that, we kind of come to the fifth message in our summer series uh, from Jude, verses 14 through 16. And it's this, if people are going to rebel, we need to understand what awaits the rebellious. What is it that awaits for those who choose to rebel against God? And Here's the thing that I really want you to see from the message today. And it's this. The Lord, those who rebel against God and reject Jesus as Lord will face the eternal judgment of God. God is not okay with you rebelling against him. And you need to get that part. <laughs> God is not okay 
with you rebelling against him. And if you rebel against him and you reject Jesus, um, there's a price to pay for that. And so as I begin the message today, uh, I think I begin really this way. I want to ask a question, a question that I, that I get asked quite a bit, actually, and that I deal with. And this question is this, how can God send people to hell? I get asked that question. People want to know, how can God? Especially, you know, we, we as Christians, you know, we talk about the love of God, John three sixteen, God's so loving. We just constantly talking about the love of God. And they want to know, how can a God that loves send people to hell? You know what? That's a legitimate question. It really is. And it comes from a culture and a mindset that's different than what I grew up in. I grew up in a culture, in a way of thinking, in a worldview that understood that there was an objective, ultimate authority in everything. That there was something beyond all of us that determined what was right and wrong. Now, you know, I may reject it, I may rebel against it, but I understood that. But today there's a culture, and I've shared this with you throughout this message, this series, because this is an important thing for us to get. And this cultural mindset's not new. It's new to America, maybe, but it's existed for all of human history. And the cultural mindset is simply this. It's got a couple of components. I'm going to give you two, many components, I should say, but I'm going to give you two. One is called relativism, and it's the idea that there is no absolute truth that there is no objective right or wrong or moral standard, that you pretty much can do whatever you want. You can create your own reality. I've heard this, what's true for you may not be true for me. That's what people say. And the other component is called syncretism, and which means that everything is basically on equal footing. All religions, all philosophies are basically the same. And so when you combine these two together, you get the concept that I can live my life however I want because it's my life, and all ways of living my life are equally valid. And so when Christianity comes along and says that when you live your life in opposition to what God expects, you're going to face the judgment of God, that mindset doesn't get it. They push back. They don't understand that. And so it can be tough for them to deal with subjects like judgment and subjects like hell. And uh, sometimes in the church, what some people choose to do is just kind of ignore it. Some churches, they believe it, don't ever talk about it. Some completely deny it. I see more and more within Christianity, and I don't know if it's Christianity or not, but we'll use that term because they call themselves Christians, even though that's debatable. But we see more and more of a rejection of the concept of judgment, of hell, of of, of those aspects of life. In fact, 20 years ago, I was driving in San Antonio, my hometown, and I saw a billboard by what was once a prominent church. It isn't anymore. It's really gone down in numbers for obvious reasons. But the billboard said, you're welcome to our church. Hell and judgment are not included. In other words, they were never going to deal with hell, judgment. That wasn't a part of what they taught or believed. They just left that out. They rejected it, in fact. And so they, it can, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to comprehend because the truth of the matter is there are some positive aspects of, of salvation and we should talk about those positive aspects. I prefer, and I spend far more time talking about the positive aspects of salvation, that we have a relationship with God through Jesus. That's, our lives now can have purpose and meaning. I talk about that all the time. We can experience forgiveness and we can experience the love of God. But if all that's true, if all those positive things are true, then here's the thing. For there to be the positive, there has to be the negative. There has to be something that you are forgiven for. There has to be that you're something, reason you're loved when others say that you might not be loved. There has to be some component of a life that ha- does not have meaning and does not have purpose. And that's the struggle. And part of the problem that people have, and part of their resistance, is they simply really don't understand God. Some of you may remember Back in January, I preached a series about God called The One Who Makes Sense of It All. Right now, some of your minds are just going back to all five of those messages. And I'm sure you remember all five of those messages. Listen, I do. But after I looked them up, I remembered all five of them. What they were. So I remembered. I remembered for that. Excuse me for lying. 
And, and, and the thing about it was we talked about that God is holy. The characteristics of God. He's holy, which means God is complete. God is perfect. God doesn't lack anything. And what God, when he created, he created a world, but he doesn't need that world. He's separate from it. And because of that, God's a moral God. And as a moral God, he gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. And to violate that morality is to separate yourself from God. We talked about God being the God who reveals. He reveals who he is. You can know something about God. He wants you to know him so you can have a relationship with him. He's God who creates. He is the creator. And when you create, you get to make the rules. That's a pretty good thing about being the creator. You get to determine how people ought to live. We also saw that he was the God who was just. And the God who is just always does what is absolutely right and conforming to his holiness. And we saw he's the God who loves because he loves us and cares about us. And even though we've rebelled against him, he did something utterly unique and something only God would do. He sent Jesus into this world to save us. See, you and I have a freedom that God has given us. And we have taken our freedom to rebel against God. You shouldn't rebel against God, but we've rebelled against God. We took the freedom. In fact, you go back to Genesis 3, we see the basic sin of all of life. You've been here at any time at all. You've heard me say this, and you've been here as long as I have. You've been here all six years. You've heard me say this probably 5,000 times, it seems like. The basic sin of all of life found in Genesis 3 is to be the God of our own life. We want to be God. And that's what Satan said to Eve and subsequently Adam. You will be God. Just eat from this tree. And that's our desire. And so God sent Jesus because we rebelled against him. He didn't have to. But he did because of his holiness compelled him. And Christ came. And when Christ came, this is what Christ tells us. We can have life. Life the way God intended it to be. But we have life in him. In fact, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. But he also reminded us that while we can have eternal life, what awaits for us if you reject him is eternal death. And in eternal death, there's the consequence of suffering and judgment for eternity. That's why it's eternal. In fact, Christ drove this home so much. He wanted you to understand and me to understand this is the reality if we reject him. That right before his death, just hours before his death, as he was with the 12 guys that he called his own. He was with those guys. They were on the Mount of Olives. They were looking at the Jerusalem. They were looking up at the temple. And they said to Jesus, look at how great that temple is. And Jesus said to them, guys, that temple's falling down. In fact, the destruction of that temple is going to be a sign. The destruction of Jerusalem is going to be a sign. It's a sign, first of all, that the old way is over. The old covenant is done. It'll never be revived again. There is no going back to the Old Testament way of salvation. That is done. And it's a reminder of something else. That I'm coming back. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And that's a sign for you that I will come. And in coming back, he said, there will be a judgment. He will look at people, and he will look at their life, whether they followed him or not. Did you trust me? Did you trust your, your life to me? Did you follow me as Savior? And he said, in your life, there will be evidence. And he talked about what the evidence would be. And then he said this, in Matthew records it in chapter 25, starting with verse 41, this part. Then he will also say to those, he being the Son of Man, Jesus, when he returns, to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, damned ones. They're the ones who are damned. Into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The fire that is eternal forever. Notice, it wasn't prepared for you and I. It wasn't prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil. Hell was always prepared for the devil. People who spend eternity in hell spend eternity in a place that was never prepared for them. These will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous 
into eternal life. Jesus says there is a punishment that is eternal for those who live in rebellion against God and refuse to trust Christ. And I know that's an inconvenient truth, and people don't like it. But here's the thing. Truth exists whether we believe it or not. It does. I mean, some people don't believe in the laws of physics. I suppose you could say, I don't believe in gravity. And then you could get on a 10-story building and jump off, and you become a believer. Briefly. (laughs) Very briefly. Very briefly. And so June weighs into the false teachers. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that in dealing with the false teachers, we saw Jude say something in verse 4. This is what Jude said. In verse 4, certain persons have crept in unnoticed. These were the false teachers. They crept into the church unnoticed. These who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. I told you then, they were from the beginning, those who rebelled were marked out for condemnation. Notice he calls them ungodly persons. The word ungodly means completely in rebellion against God. We're going to see this in a few moments in verses 15. It's mentioned four times. They turned, and here was the sin they committed. They turned, and this was their false teaching. They turned the grace of God into licentiousness. The grace of God, what they were doing is, I've shared already to you before, but some of you, this is your first time, need to hear this. They took the grace of God, his free grace, and they said, because God saves you freely, he is compelled, he is obligated to save you. And so you can live any type of life you want. You can live it as much, any, any immorality. And licentiousness simply means the extremities of sexual immorality or perversion. You can live however you want in your life. And Jude says, in doing so, they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus by denying what is true. And then it reminded them of what happened to Israel and what happened to the angels who rebelled against God and what happened to the immoral who rebelled against God. All those who rebelled against God suffered judgment. It's the way it is. So now he comes to verse 14. In verse 14, is what he says. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Now, once again, Jude brings up Enoch. This is the third straight sermon in the series, third sermon we've seen where he mentions a book. Enoch, first Enoch was one, the Assumption of Moses last week, and now Enoch again. These were books written between the closing out of the Old Testament before the New Testament. They were called the intertestamental books, the apocryphal books. They're not scripture. They're not meant to be scripture. This doesn't mean that Jude thought they were scripture, but they influenced some people. And as I've shared with you over the last two weeks, they influenced the readers of Jude. Now, you know, in, in the scriptures, they'll quote people. In fact, Paul quotes a pagan. In the book of Titus, Paul quotes Epimenides, who was a, a Cretan philosopher. He was a pagan. He said uh, that Epimenides talked about his own people, said they're liars, they're lazy, they're gluttons, they're evil. And, and he said, that's true. Paul said, he's telling the truth. Truth is true, whether we believe it or not. Truth is always true. And so basically what Jude is doing is he's taking this, what Enoch said and saying what Enoch said is true. That means it's scripture, but it's true. He said, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. So the Lord came, the, 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 the Lord being God, came with as many thousands of his holy ones, the angelic, the judge. Now, to the Jew, when the Lord comes, he's going to be coming, will be Jesus, all right? So verse 15 says this, to execute judgment upon all. He's going to execute judgment. Judgment means the way, the, to, to, to balance the sea. He's going to look at the life, and he's going to look at whether or not you follow Jesus. Jesus wants to know that you follow Jesus, and he's going to look at the evidence in your life, and he's going to convict all the ungodly. 
He's going to find all the ungodly guilty, all the rebellious guilty. And he uses the word ungodly four times. If you have the New American Standard, it's all four. If you have the NIV, it's only used three in English, but it's all four in the Greek. He's going to convict all the ungodly, notice, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He says these are men who are ungodly. The way they live their life is ungodly. Their deeds are ungodly. Their actions are against God. The path, the way they travel is against God. What they said, they spoke words that are harsh. The word harsh means cruel. They spoke cruel things about God. They blasphemed God in the words they said. They taught heresies. These are the ungodly. These were the false teachers who had crept into their church to take their church and to teach what was blatantly false. And in verse 16, Jude now says, talking about these men, after quoting Enoch, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. He mentions four things that the false teachers have been doing inside that church. First, they've been grumbling and fault-finding. The word grumbling means to complain. Fault-finding means to, uh, in some way, speak ill of or to uh, criticize. And so they have come into the church to complain and criticize. No. So they're taking truth, the real truth, what the apostles taught, what they understood about Jesus. And they complain against it and they criticize it. Why? Because of the, the way they're living their life. In fact, that brings us to the second thing. They pursue their lusts. They pursue their immoral lifestyle. They, they pursue it. They go after it. You know, they, they, they seek to make that an integral part of who they are. And since that is in opposition to what the apostles have taught and to the teachings of Jesus, they complain and they grumble and they, and they criticize what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught. The third thing they do is, is they says that they are arrogant in what they say. They, uh, I told you last week that they had these dreams that they would dream up. And they would come to the church and they would say, hey, we had these dreams. And the stream then would become their vision. It would supplant or take the place of the truth, the authority of what they knew to be the word of God. And so they're arrogant in what they teach. They teach with arrogance in denying what is true. And then he just goes on to saying, they look at people and they flatter them for the advantage they can get. What can I get out of people to make it for me? And we talked last week about their pursuit of wealth. I mean, these are pretty strong words that Jude uses. They're complainers and critics who lust and who are arrogant and who use people for their own advantage. This, by the way, pretty much describes the culture we live in now. In fact, this describes every culture. Every culture outside of Christ, this pretty much describes how it is. Because the culture is in rebellion against God. And when you live in rebellion against God, this is what happens. You replace everything that God has revealed with your own ideas and your own philosophies and your own view of life. You take it and you replace it. Take what God has said and move it out of the way. And these were these men. And Jude had minded them what happened to Israel, what happened to the angels. What happened to the pagans when they did this? He reminded them, we saw last week, of Enoch, who, uh, 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 at Cain, who was evil, of, of Balaam, who was greedy, of Korah, who was rebellious. And Jude understood the danger of this. So Jude wanted them to know that the words and the actions of the false teachers were evidence of the rejection of Jesus. And the Lord's judgment was just, and it was certain. 
What they said, what they did gave evidence that they had completely rejected Jesus. It didn't matter what they claimed. Their life of ungodliness, their words of ungodliness said, you've rejected Jesus. And so the judgment was both certain and it was just. So I know we ask the question, we hear the question asked, how can God send people to hell? And sometimes we've got to remember that, that what was happening is that people have made choices. God gave us the freedom to reject him, and people did that. And then not only did they reject him, when, when God provided ways for them to come back to him, they rejected that as well. And so we live in a culture in opposition to God, and the culture doesn't want to hear the truth. But the truth is that they have made this decision. In fact, here's the thing. Hell is God giving those in rebellion what they choose in this life for all eternity, life without him. I mean, hell is just God saying, this is what you want, is to have life without me. You get it for all eternity, unfortunately. You get it in a place that was prepared for Satan and his followers. You get it in a place never prepared for you, but this is the price of the choice you make. And we, we live in this world that we don't like to hear that, and I, and I get it. We, we, we live in a world that is, is really somewhat ironic. You think just the arrogance. And people on the one hand say, God, I don't want you to give me any rules and regulations. I want to live however I want to live. And then on the other hand, and say, God, by the way, I don't want you to do anything about it. <laughs> it's pretty arrogant. And here's the truth. If, if we rebel, if we disobey, we don't get to set our punishment. Listen, my when my daughter, when she disobeyed her dad and her mom, you know, when we sat down, you know what I never asked her? I never said, honey, what do you want your punishment to be? I never gave her that option. We, we decided what it was going to be. And I know if you, listen, I, when, when you go too fast and they pull you over and they give you a ticket and then you get to figure out what the fine is, nowhere on the place where it says what the fine is, so I've been told, I've never really experienced this part myself, but nowhere does it say what the fine is. Does it give you an option to put the amount you want to pay? You pay the $247.56, if I recall correctly. That's what Brian told me he was paying for that ticket. And that's what, listen, God doesn't give us that option. But God gives us something else far better. He gave us Jesus. Because God didn't want it to be that. How can God send people to hell? Well, God doesn't want you to go to hell. He gave you something else. He sent Jesus to the world. And Jesus, who was God in the flesh, came. So you and I wouldn't have to go to hell. In fact, Jesus came and he paid every price that needed to be paid for our rebellion. He paid it on the cross. He died in your place. He died in my place. He died on our behalf. And he died for us and God raised him back to life so that we could have a way. In fact, this is what we know within our faith. Our responsibility is to get people to Jesus because Jesus will save them. We believe that. And one of the sad things that we see what's happening in churches today is we're abandoning this way of God. And what we see is churches trying to reach out to the culture and embrace the culture and accept the culture and to let the culture influence the church. I've been saying this throughout this entire series. This is the danger of the false teaching today. Listen, we look at the people in the world we live in and we love them. We always love the people in that world. The people that reject Jesus, we love them. We were once one of them. We love them. 
We invite them into our church. In fact, sometimes we go out into their world and we walk among them, we talk among them, we wade out into that swamp that is the culture for the simple reason that we want people to come to Jesus. But we don't embrace that swamp. And we don't bring the swamp into the church, which is what some people are doing. And some of you, some of you, in fact, I had a person just today tell me this, have left a church that you grew up in, left a denomination that you loved because they brought the swamp of the culture into their world instead of going into that culture and giving them Jesus. See, for Jude, it was all about Jesus because he understood the alternative was the judgment of God. That's truth. It's Jesus. That's coming from the lips of Jesus to be judgment. And so Jude didn't want people to face that. And so here are these false teachers teaching what he knew was a lie, what he knew wasn't true. And Jude wanted to write about the common salvation, but he couldn't. He was compelled by God to confront the false teachers because he understood the alternative. And what we need to realize and recognize is this. We don't create our own reality. We create our rebellion against God. That's what we create. Reality is created by God. And it always involves judgment. That is truth. Whether we like it or not. That is truth. We don't get to decide what reality is. God does, but in his love for us, God provided a way out of that judgment. And that way is Jesus. So follow Jesus. That's it. See, God, he provided a way out. We blame God. Oh, God, you're gonna, you don't let me live however I want. Oh, God, if I rebel against you, there's judgment. Well, that's because we chose that path. Then God did something only God can do. God did something you and I can't do. God did something you and I wouldn't do. God provided a way out because he loves us. That's why in the Gospel of John, there's that verse that just about everybody, even those who aren't Christians, know it says, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus because of love, because God wants us to go to hell, not because God wants to condemn us, because a holy God understands that we rebel against him we can't be with him so in love he sent jesus and i hear all the time now and i'm always hearing and i'm reading more and more if we love people in the church if christians are going to love people if we're going to reach the community blah 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 it's very simple if you really love people get them to jesus it's just, it's nothing else. If you love people, get them to Jesus, and there's nothing else added to that. That sentence is truth. And that sentence stands on its own. And it doesn't need any additions. And it doesn't need any corrections. And it really doesn't need any explanation. If you love people the way God loves people, the way Jesus loves people, you get them to Jesus. And anything beyond that, is false. And that which is false will destroy the lives of people. And it can't be that way. We celebrate our independence. We celebrate our freedom today. It's good to be free. But real freedom is found in Christ. You see, you don't want to be independent from God. 
In fact, you want to be dependent on God because ultimately you are. Because ultimately one day you will face him. You will face God. Whether you want to admit it or not, that is truth. And because we love you and we care about you, we want you to face God, not in your reality, because <laughs> it won't be that way, but in his, with Jesus. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. You've never done it. You may think you have, but you've done it. In fact, when I was reading what Jude described of the false teachers, the complainers, lustful, arrogant, using people that may have described you, and if that describes you, you've got a problem with God. Some of you need to give your life to Christ today. And so we invite you right now to give your life to Jesus. Where you are, where you're sitting, when you're watching uh, on the internet or on YouTube or Facebook, whatever. When you're watching, you can give your life to Christ right as I speak. Say, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm going to trust you to save me. Because I know I can't save myself. Because I know I live in rebellion against God. And I don't want to face the consequences of that rebellion. It's okay not to want to face the consequences of rebellion. You shouldn't want to. So give your life to Christ. In just a moment, some of us will be standing here and you can come and give your life to Jesus if you want. Ladies, if you'd rather talk to another woman, you can do that as well. Some of you have people you really love and care about and they're living in rebellion against Christ. Some of them live in that world of relativism and syncretism and it's a struggle, I know. And here's what I can tell you. You've got to keep doing this. You've got to keep sharing Jesus. You've got to help them come to Jesus. and Have faith and confidence that Jesus knows what to do once you bring them to him. You've got to get them to Jesus. So on you, and some of you need to make that commitment today to help them come to Christ. Some of you may be facing false teaching, or you have people you love who are caught in that false teaching. I said from day one, you love them, and you pray for them, and then you confront them with truth, because the false teaching will lead them straight to hell. That is reality, whether we like it or not. But we got to come to realize today. It's what rates those who rebel. The end result of those who rebel, whether they like it or not, is the judgment of God. We want them to experience the salvation of Christ. We want to leave here today knowing that what awaits all of us is Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for words that sometimes are hard. And whether we like it or not, they're true. And the world around us needs to know they're true. So help us take Jesus to that world and to love that world, and to wade into that swamp where they live and share Christ with them, and to help them know Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would make us, as your servants, completely committed to you, that we would surrender ourselves to you in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, Father, that we then, having come to salvation in you, and those who need to come to salvation, I pray they would do that now, but coming to salvation in you, then we would go to this world we live in. And we would confront them with truth, whether they want it or not. And that truth is they need Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? If you need to come, you come. We'll greet you.